Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody, welcome to another edition of your favorite movie podcast, the tri-filming, village-burning, flesh-eating duo known by its honorary indigenous name, Forced Perspective. This is episode 92, Engulfed by the Green Inferno. I am your host, SportsGuy515, and on this episode, we will examine a film regarded by many as the most controversial film ever made, Ruggiero Del Dato's 1980 horror film, Cannibal Holocaust, and the squeamish need not apply. But before we head into the Amazon, I'd like to introduce my co-hosts first. 
by normal force suspected co-host sporting a beard that would make Robert Kerman jealous, ladies and gentlemen, Adolfo. Uh, I'm not quite sure if I'm going to ever forgive you for this one. Because um, I said I was only going to ever watch this movie once, and now I have, I've have i had to watch it twice. Well, would you rather forgive me for Jingle All the Way or for this one? That's a toss-up. That, that is a toss-up. <laughs> that is a really difficult decision to make. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> They're both an assault on the senses. Oh, and, my and, God. And, All right, bro. Let's just calm down a little bit. But, but with that, people, allow me to introduce my, our good friend and special guest co-host, the man who's had many river baths surrounded by beautiful women. Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Graven. <laughs> I'm right here just uh, eating my turtle soup right now. Let me go ahead and put it down as I was uh... watching this film. <laughs> <laughs> you went there already, bro. <laughs> now, 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 that that river bath, uh, I like how that girl got a little liberal with, with, with yes. what's his name? <laughs> region there and he talks about that in the commentary which was weird but uh anyways we'll get to that scene. we'll get to that bro i, th- I think I, th- I think he will mr fuji was behind that rib brother i'll tell that right <laughs> he got ripped pretty good on that one bro I, I i'm convinced a lot of the stuff that happened here were ribs like they had to be, <laughs> had, to be exactly. had to be but uh there was another one i think i wrote down in my notes that I, it had to be a rib but i'm sure like as i go through it uh, i'll bring it up but Anyway, guys, everybody, welcome back to Force Perspective. So, like Adolfo here, a lot of you are probably wondering why in the holy fuck are we talking about this film? Well, that's going to segue into my like the first uh, topic I want to go into, and that's first impressions. Now, I had always read about this movie, Cannibal Holocaust. It's just it's this infamous horror film, most controversial film ever made at least it's dubbed like that by a lot of people a lot of publications have said it. it's on the list i think empire's list of like the 20 most controversial films like number eight or something or number seven but you know this film has quite a reputation behind it and not always and, and let's, let's not say like not always but let's just go into not because of good things for the most part so um in order to kind of get this thing going, I want to ask you guys. Well, first, let's go to Draven because I'm sure Draven will have more experience with this. Like, how did you first hear about Cannibal Holocaust? And, like, you know, this was during the VHS era. So how did you uh, kind of track this baby down? Well, okay, so I, I, I've, bec- I've been a genre fan. And by that, I mean a kind of an expectation film fan since I was a little kid. You know, I think I've mentioned this before, but I, I didn't. I actually went backwards. See, more, most cinephiles they start with the Hollywood classics, right? They, that, that's what they get. They get exposed to at a, at a young age, and then later on they they kind of hear about the deep cuts. Deep cuts meaning like the more lesser known films that are kind of hard to find, and they track those down and they grow an appreciation for them. Well, you know, growing up as part of an immigrant family, you know, and I think I've said this before. You, we, we had to get my parents had to get visually stimulated because they didn't speak the language, right? So um, this is during the boom of the VHS era. This is, you know, early to mid-80s. And so back in the day, uh, when the VHS were kind of becoming the thing, VHS stores would just, they they would put anything on the shelves, anything, you know, which gave a rise to like made on video, because that that kind of uh, created a surplus in distributors and and home video and everything kind of grew from the VHS market because VHS stores needed supply, you know, there was too much demand and not enough films being made. So uh, when, when, 
when there's no budget in a in a movie, when when you're a filmmaker and you have no budget, what do you do? You have to you you can't really have a story because you you really can't afford any actors. So what you do is you kind of make a movie that's gonna be more visually stimulating, more so than like you know gonna go for the emotional punch. Although a lot of you know genre films do go for the emotional punch as well by default. But um so anyways uh so. That exposed me to a lot of like these B horror movies and like, you know, all these great genre films. And then as you're going to school, you kind of start migrating towards the same kind of individuals that like the same kind of movies. And so, you know, I had my little crew of friends that were we were on to like this kind of films. And with that, you start you start learning about all these other films that nobody's ever heard of because there was no no way to get them you know you you can't you can't go on the internet and download them because there was no internet in 1986 87 you know or even the the, the early 90s which is when I was really dialed into this stuff uh, you can't you can't you know go to your video store and get a lot of these films because a lot of them don't have american distribution so you start kind of uh, just hearing about them you know the the lore of like the uh, uh, faces of death starts to come out the yeah. lore of like you know uh um this kind of movie uh all the cannibal films you know cannibal pharaohs eating alive you know uh, cannibal holocaust and within your own mind you start kind of picturing what it's all about right so that brings us to the mid 90s now in the mid 90s there was this the early days of the internet you know as far as uh public consumption went because the internet right. has been around for years but so that that started the tape trader scene, right? So within that, like I'm talking about 95, 96, you would go into these sub forums and a lot of these people had like three or four generation VHS tapes that were that were they were selling. Um, and so that, uh, you know, for like thirty dollars a pop, I remember my first copy of Cannibal Holocaust. I paid thirty dollars in 1995 currency. All right. Um, so so. At that time, you know, you 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 were going through these like angel fire fucking rinky ding websites. <laughs> angel <You> would, fire. <laughs> and, and, and you, you you would have these guys put up their 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 what they would call the tape trader list, right? Um, and then so they wouldn't get in trouble with the law or whatever. It was all tape trading. Like you could you could buy something from them because you know you you would email them and work something out. But it was promoted as tape trader. In other words, you you give them something they want and you, they get something you want. Right. So um, they would put up their list. You know, very very uh, you know the list was just in text, regular text, and then you would pick the movies you wanted. Um, I remember I got the Crow work print, which I still have to this day. The Crow work print costed me about 25 bucks, which actually shows the cowboy, which was played by um, the guy from The Hills Have Eyes. And they totally cut him from the from the from the Crow film. He's not in the Crow film. Uh, the cowboy is actually the Crow's guide, Eric Draven's guide throughout the entire movie. And he's totally missing from the finished product. But if you have the work print edition, he's in there and it's a trip. Dude, when I bought it, I was I was just marking out the whole time. <laughs> That's wacky, bro. Yes, um, because if you see the original, the, the Crow film, he just knows what he's, where he's going. But what you don't see is that there's an actual like, like phantom telling him what to do, and then that's they just decided to eliminate all that stuff. Anyways, um, I'm trying to think. Oh, I, I also I also bought a Halloween six six six, the producer's cut, uh, for like thirty bucks as well around <laughs> the same time. So all these films were work, were making the rounds. Um, and, you know, one of those films was Cannibal Holocaust. So now we're talking about 1995. Now, the, the myth of this film had grown from like, you know, it had been uh, from like 1989. I had heard about this film and it, uh, mm -hmm. it, everything was building up for me to see it. 
So so you get it and everything, and, and you know, I bought it, I got it, and I threw it on. First of all, it was a fourth generation copy, so it looked like shit. Uh, but still, you know, that didn't that didn't matter to a 15-year-old kid like myself. I was just so happy to see it. I got my friends over, you know, we were watching it, and everything about it seemed so real, you know. I remember I were just after the movie ended, we were just like we didn't even know what to say, and all of a sudden as young impressionable minds were like this is the greatest film ever made you know like everything that's that's that a teenager should not see we're seeing it yeah. and a lot of it is and, and here's the thing we thought it was real and then that's no joke that's not us being worried we we thought well, we thought we weren't the only ones because at the because here's the thing there was nowhere for us to go i, I was i couldn't pull up wikipedia and, and type in <laughs> oh you know the direct there, there was all we knew was the stories we heard you know yeah. and these kind of films were not were not covered by fangoria other than you know maybe like one of the editors sourcing it you know there was no stories about cannibal holocaust the only thing that you knew about it was was whatever was told in the underground tape trading community you know that's it and a lot of it was was hyperbole and and you know people were were, were adding more to it than it really was so when you when you have all that in your brain already and then you watch the thing and then you see all these animals get killed and you see raping and you see sex going on and you're like holy shit and uh that is definitely not for a 15 year old kid so that those kind of films kind of uh they stay with you man they stay with you for a long time and uh that those were my that was my first impression of cannibal holocaust and it, it, it gets me a little nostalgic because i you know, one of the things that makes these films so special and the reason why they they probably won't work as much as somebody like yourself, Mark, or somebody that was born later on is because it's not just the film itself that that's special. It's how hard it was to actually see the film yeah. that, that made it even more special. And so you combine all that and you have a recipe for just a very nostalgic and and just uh you know good memories of that time you know the, the cannibal holocaust and like even like films like battle royale which came later on but they were also very hard to get uh yeah. you know those kind of films they 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 uh they represent a whole time in my life more so than just the actual film you know you know what i'm saying so they, that, that was my first impression of cannibal that was the first time i i watched a cannibal holocaust so uh, before I move on, uh, I just want to ask you a quick question. So who would you call the biggest carnies, bro? Tape traders or wrestling promoters? <laughs> well, here's the well, here's the thing about tape traders because I was one myself. The thing was that first of all, it was it, you remember we had to buy the Maxell tapes and those were expensive. All right, you know they were like at that time they were like five dollars per tape. Oh, I, I, I believe you. And so, and we and we also had to most likely buy the actual film from a previous tape trader and then redub it and sell it, you know. Yeah. So, so, so there was there was an overhead. If you were a tape trader, you actually had an overhead, believe it or not. So there was a sense of trying to make your money back while trying to cover your overhead. That's why these things were so expensive. And then at the end of the day. It's all about the scarcity effect, right? It was like, where else are you gonna watch this movie? You, either you pay the thirty bucks, or you go, you can't go rent it. So there you go. That those are your options. And so, you know, I still say wrestling promoters are the biggest carnies. <laughs> Brother, look at you. You're going to WrestleMania with that, with that lineup, with that card, and you paid, you know, in the hundreds of dollars. You definitely got work. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I, 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 I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna not admit it. I definitely got work, bro. So there you go. So does that mean uh, you won't be joining us? No, I I I uh I, I didn't want to go at the last. Let me tell you, let me tell you what broke me, brother. Let me tell you what broke me. Roll minute Undertaker. No, 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 no. I'm willing to put up with all that shit because I understand how the <laughs> WWE promotes. But the moment there comes a point where 
you know, like that tipping point, right? The 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 the, the straw that broke the camel's back and all right. that shit. Yeah. The moment that the new day got announced as being the host, bro, <laughs> I just I imagine four to five segments of bullshit, like just rat, just straight up bullshit, and I just got so angry, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going. I'm just not going. I can't. I, I was ready to go. I was ready to buy everything, and I just canceled. I'm like, this is not worth the thousand dollars I'm gonna spend. You know, give me all the shit you want, but give me just a little bit for me to have at least a smile, you know. But if you're gonna if you're gonna piss me off even more with something I don't like, like the new day hosting, and then you know yeah. Dwayne Dwayne's gonna go out there and take twenty five minutes to say the same <laughs> for the last fucking four years. So you have, you have the Dwayne segment that's gonna eat up thirty minutes plus the new day segment that's gonna eat up another twenty, and it's like I don't need to be there, you know? And and, and then you and then you and then you add to that uh, the bullshit lineup that they gave us, you know, there's absolutely no no match there that that, that I want to see. There's no match at all that I want to see at all, you know. And there's actually matches that I don't want to see. So it's on the negative side of the scale to boot. So yeah, I'm glad I'm not going, bro. Yeah. This is just, you know. This is this probably be like the last time I go for a while. You know, I I'm only really going because we kind of planned this out a year in advance. We said it's Orlando. You know, we could. Uh, go early and go to the parks like we're, we're staying for a whole week essentially so we're oh, okay. going early we're going like on tuesday and we're gonna start doing the parks for like the rest of the week and then like on the weekend we're gonna go to the downtown area for all the stuff but i mean it's more for the parks that we really planned the trip for and then right. we know it's mania why not yeah no that's good if, if, if mania is kind of gonna be the bonus then that's fine yeah, essentially that's exactly exactly what it is um, right so, uh, so before I go to you, Adolfo, as far as like cut back on track here, um, yeah, like you said, Draven, with with me, it's a little different. Like with me, like I forgot how I first heard about. It. I know I was reading an article about something. I can't remember what it was, but it had it was movie related, and you know, it was a Wikipedia article. You know how sometimes you get like you know when you're bored and you start going through Wikipedia, like just looking random shit up, and you're there for like hours, just wasting time and, and just reading about different things. So yes, that's what I was doing one night a, a few years ago. I forgot how long it was. It must have been when I was still in college, and I was reading some article. I can't remember what it is, but there was something in it about Cannibal Holocaust. So I, I'm like, oh, what the hell is that? So I clicked on it. Like that's a wacky name, Cannibal Holocaust. So I clicked on it, and then I just started reading about this movie and the controversies. You know, the real animal killings, and you know. It's the, considered the first found footage movie. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I might, I might want to check this out. But I, like at the time, I was like, ah, I'm a little, might be a little too squeamish to like, want to sit through it. So I kind of let it simmer for a few years. And then what kind of got me to watch it was when I found out that Grindhouse was releasing the Blu-ray for it. Now, do you have that Blu-ray, Draven? No, no, I have the, uh, I have the V, the the, the DVD, the the, DVD. the double disc DVD that Grindhouse released. Um, like I think like ten years ago, you know, and it's funny because even for that thing, I paid like twenty two dollars for it, so that thing wasn't cheap either. Um, and actually, it's funny you say that because uh, I I actually opened it today, brother. I bought it ten years ago and I opened it today to do my research. <laughs> nice. So 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 I have not seen this film in at least uh fifteen years. It's been a long time. Wow, bro. Yeah, uh, I think I paid twenty two for that that Blu ray set actually. Um, there's there's some good stuff on there. Like I went through a lot of the extras, and yes. so that's what kind of spurred me to do. And then also I had a conversation with uh, with Big D with Danny, um, 
And, you know, he went on about, like, the turtle scene was uh, about how big that was. He goes, like, you know, I like turtles, as you know, and the turtle broke my heart. So I was like, oh, <laughs> wow. So so um, so I, I got the, the Grindhouse Blu-ray, and then I, it was, like, midnight a year ago. About a year ago, around this time, I was midnight. I was you know what? Let me do a midnight movie. I haven't done those in a while since I wasn't going to work the next day. So I put that on as my midnight movie. Big mistake, by the way. But... <laughs> But that's how I first saw it, and I just kind of like I, I wanted like I want I trained myself not to turn away, like just sit through it once, like and then you can say you sat through it, you know. So no matter what was on the screen, I just kind of like I, w- I was doing the whole like uh, the Alex gimmick from Clockwork Orange, just just sitting there, just staring at it, you know, not looking yeah. away. And um, you know that's how I first saw it, and it was just it was. I mean, it, it's it's indescribable watching it for the first time. Like, of course, you had like a different reaction, but but me, it was like, wow. Like, I, I, like that was all I could kind of muster afterwards. Um, Adolfo, when did you first hear about and then end up seeing this movie? So I'm gonna echo uh, Draven here for uh, um, some of the VHS stuff. So I heard about this movie. I've known about this movie. I think as long as I've known about movies, I think. Um, because back in the eighties that I was, as I was growing up and, you know, I, have mentioned on this podcast before that I, uh, you know, I came here in uh, 1985 and I knew only like a very baseline amount of English. And, um, I learned English through watching movies specifically. I watched back to the future and ghostbusters and, and, uh, police Academy over and over and over and over again until I kind of picked up the language. Uh, and, you know, we were one of the, you know, we, we weren't, uh, like, the back then in 85, I mean, VHS weren't, VHS, VCRs weren't necessarily new, but not everybody had them, right? So um, we were one of the few people that, that did have them, in, at least in my neighborhood. So uh, we went to, you know, we would, that's all I ever did was just watch, you know, VHS tapes. Uh, and, uh, you know, back like it, maybe like a year or two later, the first video store opened up. It was a local uh, video store. And it was one of those things that, like, it's it's a lost art, you know. It's a lost thing that you know. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love I love my Netflix and I love my streaming services and and everything like that. And they're very convenient, you know. But th- th- there is there is a lost kind of um, art, oh, or there's a lost like yes, yes, I, piece I see, of I, culture of not having that video local video store not even blockbuster but that local video store right that you could go in and you could just look at all the different titles mm-hmm. that are on the wall and you would have to kind of almost ju- you almost had to judge books by their cover you know you have to like look at the covers and think okay which one of these do i want to watch you know um and uh i was when i was growing up yeah i watched all the kitty movies and things like that but uh, i also got into horror movies and you know, back then they never really like checked IDs on things. So like, I <laughs> yeah. was able to like. They, they, they didn't care as long as you rented that video, you gave them the money. They didn't care. Exactly, as long as you had it back within like the one or two days, and then they charge you the extra five dollars if you didn't bring it back, and the extra two dollars if you didn't rewind it. They didn't care what you got. So like, uh, I remember, um, you know, hearing about this movie and like 
I never saw it in that video store for the longest time because I don't think they ever had a copy because it, it was one of those, you know, controversial movies that, you know, you never really – I never you never really had. Um, but I remember finally seeing it once and wondering what it was and then like hearing, you know, you always have that older kid that kind of knows stuff and he, he's the one who saw everything but he doesn't like tell you anything. He's the one who has right. the porno mags and everything. Yeah. And, and so he was, you know, we had one of those kids and he was like, oh, yeah, Cannibal Holocaust. That's a movie where, you know, everybody uh, – uh, they kill people on screen and it's real, blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, so finally the video store did get it. But even though they were carding, like they, they cared about every other movie, you'd be able to, uh, for what, like that one. And then when they got Faces of Death, those are the movies that they didn't let, they didn't rent out to like little kids anymore. Oh. They put them out in like, uh, in like a special section so that you couldn't like access it anymore. So for the longest time, it was like this, you know, uh, this like, uh, like white whale, you know, this thing that I had just heard about and never saw. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, over time I forgot about it. And then I, I remember seeing it again uh, at comic book convention. You know, you talk about tape traders and angel fire and, and jail. They, they, yeah, sites, yeah they, you know? they would, they would also rent tables at, at conventions. You're right. Yeah. They'd rent it and they still do that by the way. Uh, That's now right. They, yeah. Now they do DVDs, but uh, back then they did, you know, you know, at comic book conventions, they'd have, uh, you know, bootleg videotapes where it was basically a lot of the times, you know, I, I did see the crow, the work print one. Um, a lot of times what they would do is like, take and this remember this is before dvd they would take the laser disc and then dub over uh dub it onto a vhs tape and then add all the special features and deleted scenes and 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 you know quote unquote market them as director's cut like i remember uh, i got like the uh from dust till dawn director's cut in there i got like pulp fiction before it was officially released but it had korean subtitles um, <laughs> yeah i had uh what else did i buy out of there um I'm forgetting something, but uh, I, I remember the uh, Alien Three producers cut was another hot ticket back in the day too. That yeah. was another one. Yeah. Oh, the other one that I'm sure anybody can see it on YouTube now, but is that terrible 1994 Fantastic Four movie that never? Oh, got that's another one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that's, <laughs> you know, so you know all these things. You know, you'd find them, and then I remember seeing Cannibal Holocaust there. Uh, I never bought it, uh, but I just remember seeing like the, and it had very graphic cover and everything like that. But for whatever reason, I just never watched it. And then uh, I came, um, you know, I just kind of came and went in my life. And, uh, and and the more I read about it, the more I heard about it, and the more I uh, I grew up as an adult and, and hear about, oh, they actually kill. Even though I knew the gimmick was fake, right? I knew that they that they didn't actually kill people. But then I heard that like the animal kind of stuff was real. And then I was like. Eh, I don't really want to watch that. It was just kind of like I don't. I, I and then I, I kind of grew out of it. I was like I don't. I don't feel like watching it because I don't want to really see animals get killed. Um, but then last year, I asked both of you guys to participate in this uh, uh, in this uh, horror movie list that I was making yes, for my that's website. Right. Uh, and you know, I asked everyone to you know give ten movies to horror movies, and then I would rank everything. And then. Wouldn't you know it? Cannibal Holocaust made the list. So of course I was like, well, now I have to watch it because I can't put this on the list and not have it watched it because I watched everything else on the list. So I was like, I can't be a poser and put this on the list and not having watched it. So um, I have a. Uh, 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 have you guys ever heard of the streaming service Shutter? Yes. Yeah, I, I subscribe to it. For yeah. Bucks. So I, I have a Shutter account and I knew it was on there, so I watched it uh, like last October or something like that for the first time and. Yeah, uh, I gotta be honest. Jarring. The, the it's jarring, but I gotta be honest. The kind of 
the legend kind of felt a little flat for me because like while the 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 horror uh, like the animal stuff was really difficult to watch and and I don't really ever want to watch it again um and, and like the the found footage aspect was very you know was very uh, innovative and the gore was pretty good but honestly if I kind of be completely honest I thought it was kind of boring like I I'm not I think it's kind of like the story is like whenever they're not in the jungle and he's like in New York and talking about, I'm like, oh my god, get get on with it. it it's it, it, like I didn't really, I really hated that back and forth, like going from the New York stuff to the jungle back to the New York. Like I thought that was horrible. Um, but yeah, that's my overall uh, kind of history with this film. Yeah, and in, in a way, I kind of envy you guys because so I was I was around for the tail end of the uh, the video store era, but like. I wasn't old enough to kind of appreciate it in its heyday. Like, I remember, like, when I was growing up, there was the little video store on the corner, you know, and there was another little video store by where I used to go to school. And, you know, I would go in there sometimes where I have my, my mom, like, I'd beg my mother or my grandmother to take me in there. Like, I would go and, like, just browse, like, all the movies they had. Like, they had, like, all these different tapes, and they had, and then when DVD started coming out, they had all the, the DVDs. Um, and then around, like, I think 2002, 2003, that's when they all started going, you know, belly up. But um, it, so, it's just, I, I kind of envy you guys in, in that sense because like, I, I never really got to enjoy because I was just a little kid when, you know, they were kind of already dying down. And, so, yeah. so let, let, I was going to say, so not only was, was you know, the, the whole VHS uh, mom and pop store good for us to watch movies. It was also kind of like a communal experience because it was like a hub for the community and the local neighborhood to kind of get together and you get to know your neighbors. Every time you walk into the, the, the video store, you were going to see somebody that you knew. And in time, you know, you were going to talk to them. You know what I'm saying? And also, like nowadays, I don't even know how, how, how the younger generation even finds great films anymore because you know back in the day um it was an experience just to go rent a movie you would go there and you would browse through all the v the vhs tapes and even then the covers themselves they had some of the best art you could ever imagine you know even even with, with especially in ex with exploitation films uh and grindhouse films sometimes the art was better than the movie itself you know but but it was just these great artists just drawing this this phenomenal art because they knew that the film was probably going to be shit so they had to get you in another way and so they, they they would they would draw these magnificent posters and, and and you know it was an art form just to distribute these these things you know later on the 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 MPA you know kind of went down on them there's a lot of things they yeah. there's a lot of po you can, you can't do certain things in posters anymore but back then you know, you had carte blanche to do whatever the hell you wanted, and 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 because of that, you know, we have some legendary posters of of like exploitation films, you know, and and so, and and so there was the whole experience of of the VHS stores. Now nowadays, when I'm scanning through Netflix, you know, those thumbnails don't do it for me anymore. You know, you're kind of scanning, you're on your couch, and you're going up and down, and it's not the same That's thing right. of actually picking up the box, turning it around, and it's like, when you turn it around, they give you, like, three or four more pictures, and that's it, dude. After, and they give you, like, the little synopsis, and then it's up to you to, like, take a risk or not, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and so, when you would go rent a movie, it was more, on a, it was more of, of an investment, you know what I'm saying? So, Actually, when you paid your money and you took that risk, especially if you had never heard of this film, uh, you had to watch it because of everything you just went through to get it. And then within that, 
you know, you, you were left with more of an impression. You know, you were left with more of a of, of either an enjoyment of the film or like a total disdain of the film. But the emotional impact was harder, which is something that I appreciate. And then within that, you know, you got some people got inspired and they went on to be filmmakers, you know. Okay. So so uh, I don't even know how. This, this next wave, you know, the kids born in the 90s, I don't even know where they're going to find their inspiration from because every, everybody's so jaded now. I mean, you have kids on YouTube doing some phenomenal stuff, not so much quality story-wise, but just visually stimulating stuff. And it, it comes at no cost. You know what I'm saying? So where's the motivation? So so my point is, you know, I sound like a, like an old man here. But, you know, the, 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 when we lost these stores and the whole analog generation, uh, we lost more than that. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, it, it, like Cannibal Holocaust, that's the reason why people from my generation, why we, we hold these films so near and dear to our hearts because of what we went through to actually see this damn thing. And so uh, there's a lot of pictures like this we could talk about. But, yeah, that, that's all I wanted to say about the, the VHS and, you know, all that stuff. Because it was a great time. I, I, I'm really lucky to have lived it. It really is. I, I'm really nostalgic to that for that time. And, and I just remember some of, like, the great covers that, like, you'd see. Like, you're right. Those covers were amazing. They, they, uh, they like, gave you so much information but not any information at the same time, you know. Uh, and, and, like, Cannibal Holocaust had a good cover. Like, some of my – like, I remember the I Spit on Your Grave cover, which I never saw until, like, I was an adult. So I didn't actually know what it was about, but like just you just saw this like half naked woman like all bloody and like coming yeah. out of the water. Um, the Army of Darkness cover is freaking epic. Um, I mean that with just this, and this is before I knew who Ash was or any of the Evil Dead movies were. Last, last guy, awesome yeah, oh yeah, Last Thousand oh, yeah. Left, but like Army of Darkness. This guy with a chainsaw and he got demons around him. This half naked woman hanging onto his leg, and you and like you're you're seeing that as like a 13 year old kid's like I want to watch that movie. You know, yes. like it's a. Uh, uh, I just I, I love that era. Uh, it, it's it's something like you said. It's 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 severely lacking uh, nowadays. And like you, yeah. Like well, how do you watch like movies now? Like you like we can find movies because we were into it and we like kind of uh, we like listen to podcasts and we you know, watch right, right. articles and things like that. So we know like things that are coming out, but. Like if you're a kid that's just not really necessarily interested, like he just like you just want to watch something, but you don't know like what to watch. It's like yeah, going on Netflix and looking at like thumbnails, then that doesn't do it. I mean that just not. It's 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 it misses a lot of that magic, you know. And and the thing is, like, what 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 here's the here's the other thing is like if you were a kid now. And you want to watch something, right? Anything. Uh, and you like, let's say you're watching it on Shutter or, or Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Like if you're like 10 minutes in and you don't like it, you can just turn it off. But like us, if we rented something, you had to like stick through it because, well, we paid we paid like $5 yeah. for this. So we got to finish this out. You know, even if it sucks, we got to finish watching you gotta it. got to stick it out, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember the uh, the one that was uh, by my house was, the, uh, was a West Coast video. And then um, the one by my school was called island video and that one was was wacky because that one like they had like all these they had like 10 different posters on there when like they would overlap each other and like you couldn't see like the whole of one it was like it was, they were weird like i never really went in there except for like maybe a handful of times but like every time like my my mother would pick me up from school we would drive by there and like i would always want to go in as a little kid like that place looks so cool you know but um 
You, you know, uh, Adolfo was talking about the thumbnails, and you know, I was actually talking from somebody for, uh, that works at Blumhouse. You know, and we we're talking about the new distribution model and how people just kind of scan through their like smart TVs to see, you know, something to find. And a lot of, you know, a lot of these distributors they want. A, they, they want titles that start with either an A, B, or C because most people don't get past A, B, or C as they're scanning if they're going out for better quarter. So um, you, you're going to start seeing films that that have titles that start with either A, B, or C that have nothing to do with the plot, you know? And <laughs> That's right. a, a, a good example of that is, is a film uh, called February. It's a great film. It's a horror film that came out about two, three years ago um, uh, directed by a great filmmaker called Oz Perkins. You know, keep your eye out from him. He's going to do some good things. And they they changed his film. It went from being called February to be to the to the thing it was called the Black Coats the Black Coats Daughter, which has nothing to do with anything. But it, but they, that's what they wanted because um, you know when people are scanning uh, through through their through their digital devices or whatever, that's what they're they're not gonna get past a certain letter. So mm-hmm. so it's sad that we're that that's, we're that's that we're depressing. in this. Era. That's very depressing. Yeah. So so we're gonna start seeing a lot of that now, and. Um, so yeah, man. So so that that that's that's the thing. And even a movie like Cannibal Holocaust, we're gonna get into another little mini topic later on about the distribute the theatrical distributed model and how that's changed and why Cannibal Holocaust, uh, uh, along with a ton of other great films, um, were 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 kind of big and what kind of theater chains used to run those kind of movies. So we're gonna get into that as well. Which right. is something that uh, a cannibal holocaust would never exist today, because today the distributed model has completely changed. Um, it, it, you know, the the eight million dollar picture does not exist anymore. Uh-huh. You know, either you do either you do something for a million bucks and it goes it gets put on on digital media, or you do something for like a hundred million and it gets put on theatrical. You know, that that middle of the road eight to you know eight to twenty million dollar film doesn't exist anymore, and, and it's a dead art form. And therefore, with it, it took a lot of these great films that we would get in the 80s and in the 90s that we're just not seeing anymore and and a film like cannibal holocaust kind of goes into this model as well so so anyways keep on going mark right well before i segue into the next part um i you, you mentioned the whole thing about like the the posters and the, like the cover arts for a lot of these uh these movies um when i was at the uh the billy lustig thing at alamo draft house who, by the way <laughs> yeah. who by the way bro who by the way you claim is no longer an alpha for the same reason that Kevin Steen and Samoldian Jones are an alpha. Um, <laughs> uh, but, so, you, but you know what? He did, he did he did well he did Blue Underground. So you know he gives us a lot of great Blu-rays and DVDs thanks to him. Right. Well. And and, and the late Sage Stallone. They were they were business partners. Yeah. But he's taking credit for the fact that you can't put whatever shit you want on posters anymore because of the Maniac poster. Goes, oh yeah, you know, you know what? I did hear about that. Yeah, that was the that's the one that started the whole shit. But anyway, finish your story. Yeah, where he goes like, you know, on our poster we had, you know, a uh, you know, a guy holding a woman's scalp with a bulging erection, you know, and blood dripping out. And then the, the MPAA saw that and were like, uh, yeah, you can't do that yeah. no more. So, yeah, that's a great poster. Yeah. I mean. I- I mean, you can't even do a poster like Jaws anymore, bro. Jaws, you can't do posters like that no more. So they're all very generic now. Now you have like the heads of the three leads and the sky and the name of the picture in the middle and like a little fucking uh, scenery in the bottom. That's all you get now. Somebody did a compilation of all the films that have done that, and it's like 90% of Macaulay films just have the, the the heads of the leads in the poster now 
like in the sky and then everything else is like and, the, and then a, you, a little C on the bottom above the credits, right? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's the same posters now. But but you know what? We can't blame Hollywood because they they are very regulated in what they could do. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's very frustrating because you know, and and you know, back to your point about like kind of uh, uh, flipping flipping through the uh, you know the on demand systems and, and just stopping at A or B. You know, like it, you know something like you'd never get to like a, a, a poster like uh, a movie like Maniac if you if you were just flipping through the flipping through the on demand, right? You you would have to see that on a VHS shelf, you know. Uh, yeah, I remember the Maniac poster very well from my childhood, and you know another one that like I, I I remember like very not not just horror the other the other genre that was really good with their cover art were comedies, especially like the seventies and eighties like sleazy sex comedies yeah. like Porky's you know and uh for Porky's the only one I can think of right now but like <laughs> Porky's and Animal House and Caddyshack and Meatballs, Meatballs. that was the other one. Meatballs and all those movies you can see like you know they were very titillating in their in their uh, uh, VHS covers and everything and uh, you know now like you said now we got these boring ass uh, you know like faces looking at you you know with generic backgrounds it's just like uh, who cares you know like that that's why like I I can appreciate like when uh, like when Criterion releases like these really cool art you know uh, art covers for their Blu-rays and DVDs because they at least they put some thought into it. Uh, but like yeah, like um, like the one that I can think of that it, like all, all, every cover is like. Have you have you ever guys seen the 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 cover for the Curious Case of Benjamin Button? It's literally just Brad Pitt and what's her face, Kate Blanchett, and that's it. It's just their faces. That's like that doesn't do nothing about the movie. It's just, like. <laughs> Like, yeah. what has not like this is like a movie about That's like right. a guy I remember it now. Backwards or something. So it's like so it's like kind of a fantastical idea. And it's just like, here's Brad Pitt's face. That tells so you a whole half lot. of his face is half of yeah, his half face of his and half face. her face. Oh, it's so horrible. <laughs> like I think just, it was I, I think it was the Me Joe Black poster, and they just overimposed Kate uh, <laughs> Blanchett with that with that other broad from Mar Rats, whatever her but name remember was. Remember Anthony uh, Hopkins on that poster also. Remember? Oh, that's right, that's right. Claire Forlani, there you go. Claire yeah. Forlani. I used to have a big crush Joe on Black, her. That's three hours of fucking suck. I'm not gonna get back. Oh my god, let's not get into that shit right now. But uh, um. Moving on to the next topic, though, and we can't really uh, go into the film itself without talking about kind of the genre, and that's the Italian cannibal film. Uh, bro, I, I got to say, I did a little bit of research on my own before the show. The, the, the Italians are wacky, bro. Like, they, they, <laughs> the, going by, like, the, especially when the exploitation genre, like in the 70s and the 80s, they put out some wacky shit. During that time period, well, well the cannibal films—they've had like a lot of sex exploitation films, Nazi exploitation. It's like it's just—it's like the weirdest shit. But it's like it's stuff that I would weirdly also want to watch. Well, here's the thing: we gotta t- we gotta have a couple things into consideration. First of all, anytime you're watching a film from another country. There's a perspective of their own culture, and a lot of it is the reflection of their own culture. You know, uh, one of the things that separates American films from, like, international films is the fact that international films are still very much, I would say, about 85% art-based, you know, because a lot of those films are funded so that the, 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 the particular country could have something to be proud of. And, and it's pretty much distributed through uh, – 
with the pretense that it's going to be straight art. You know, a lot of these films get funded through the local lottery. A lot of them get government grants, you know, whereas American films are 100 percent for profit. And we don't give a shit about your art. It's all about making money, you know, promoting the soundtrack, the T-shirts, the, the, the brand, etc. So there's a big difference. So with all that said. Uh, a lot of times as Americans and, you know, um, assimilated to the American culture, we start watching these films and we're like, what the fuck is going on? You know, but what we don't understand, it, like, like like another controversial film, um, 120 Days of Saddam, which you, you just watched, you know, oh, um, Salo. Yeah. Now, now Salo is a very important film. And if you understand what's going on, it's a legitimate story of frustration yeah. with that country, you know. And, and and the filmmaker was incredibly passionate, and he got he got a killed and all. He got killed. I don't know if he got killed for the movie. There's rumors and innuendos here and there about what happened. But the point is that he got he got taken out. Uh, and so you know that when I watch a film in, from international, I try to put myself from the point of view of that country and that filmmaker's frustrations or, or pride of that country. You know, uh, I, I talked about Battle Royale earlier. Battle Royale is the same thing from Japan. You know, yeah. that kind of movie would never work in America. And the reason why it's never been remade in America is because we don't have the same frustrations as the Japanese do with, with the youth that they have to do. You know, there's overpopulation, you know, they, they, they have certain, a certain hierarchy. It's a very collectivist culture, whereas we're an individualistic culture. So, so I mean, to, to make that film here in America, all we're going to be seeing is, Oh my God, kids are getting killed. What the hell is going on? We love kids. Well, well that it wouldn't work here. So and the only know, time, and the only time they did try that with the hunger games, they made it PG 13. So you didn't really get the, the violence or the, um, or the like, the visceral like impact that the Battle Royale right. has. Right. They, 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 I think the overall message was completely different in both films. Uh, right. But anyways, uh, so with the cannibal films, they're representative of the Italians as much as like the Bicycle Thief was representative of the Italians, you know, which totally changed the industry. One of the things too about Americans, bro, American filmmakers, is that they love to steal their shit. Like if you see the history of American cinema, everything was created like 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 you know. Well, we're good at as Americans, we get we get all the little pieces from all over the world and we put it together and then we create our own genre, which is like the American version of telling the story, which is fine, whatever that, you know, I, I don't blame anybody for that. that. That's just business. But but internationally, they're, they're the ones that gave us the actual uh, pieces and the tropes of making a good movie. You know, the Eastern Europeans were making great films like like before, like D.W. Griffith, you know, and, and, and so. Um, and, and then, so my whole point is that a lot of times it takes it takes other countries because they have the freedom to kind of express realism in, in, a, in a very realistic way, you know? I mean, uh, so, so going back to the Italians, as you're saying, they're wacky and all that. Well, w when a movie like The Bicycle Thief comes out, People are saying, what the fuck's going on here? You know, this is a very sad film and, and, and they're using real locations and then, you know, this, that or the other thing. But that was the representation of where the Italians were at that time as far as, you know, poverty and, and trying to stay afloat and all that stuff. So the same thing goes with the cannibal films. I mean, people are looking at that and they're saying, what's going on here? You know, uh, they're, they're, they're exploiting these savages or whatever. But but it was also kind of like a mirror of what was going on in their lifetime at that moment. And so that, that that's where we're at here with this kind of films. So uh, unfortunately, like exploitation films, they're kind of seen more as a joke and people like, 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 you know, like uh, academic 
uh, scholars, fucking cinephiles, they they laugh at the, at the at the exploitation job, which is a shame because a lot of these films, not all of them, I will say there's a lot of trash. I will even say there's mostly there's mostly trash, but a lot of these films do have a lot. They have something to say, you know, some some something to say about society and all that stuff. So um, and, and the cannibal genre, um, certainly has a little bit to say about where we were at that time as a culture. Damn, that was long-winded. <laughs> and it's all off the cuff, too, man, so... Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, and here's the thing. Uh, you mentioned, you know, how kind of America kind of borrows... Or you you kept it you kept the very post thirty seven PC. Okay, good. I say steal, <laughs> you say borrow. I was gonna say borrow, steal, however you wanna call it. Um well uh Delgado says steal. I was about to tell you about that because I'm sure you heard the commentary where he seems yeah. kind of like bitter at the Blair Witch project for like stealing his idea. <laughs> it's like you know, like um and then and then you have on the other side you have Kerman who in his interview goes like well, the Blair Witch Project, yeah, they stole his idea, but they made it better, you know. So yeah. So I mean, I mean, I just think that's uh, it's just kind of interesting. Like, I guess like there's just two different perspectives, and it's it's you know, it's I think it's interesting. Um, well, actually, the Blair Witch actually stole their concept from a movie called The Last Broadcast, which came out in '98. And um, actually, the last broadcast, the filmmakers from that movie promoted their film as, as you know, the film that got, gave Blair Witch their idea. And if you see the last broadcast, uh, there, there's some, you know, there's some stuff that's kind of identical. But it's not, it's no, it's no like City on Fire and Reservoir Dogs where you're seeing sh- like, what the fuck is going on? That one's real trippy, by the way. Yeah. You see, you see, you, you see, City on Fire and Reservoir Dogs, and then you, and then Tarantino claim, Tarantino claimed he'd never watched it in his life. I mean, come <laughs> on, gotta be shitting me. But uh, anyway, so keep funny, on going. Bro, because like, uh, like you walk into, uh, you walk into Alamo Draft House, and you're going, and you walk into the theaters, and they have all these different like Italian posters up for like, like either it's like American movies that have like the foreign posters, or if it's like real like Italian movies. And, you know, you're walking through that, and it's funny, like, uh, like Joe was next to me, and he goes, you know, if Tarantino walked in here, you'd have an orgasm, like, walking through these halls, and I'm like, yeah. you're probably right. <laughs> but um, but as, as far as uh, Del Dotter goes, now, hey, Cannibal Holocaust, I think this was the second of his, like, three cannibal films. I think the first one was called The Last Cannibal World, then it right. was this one, and then he did Cut and Run, which was more like, right. which is like the most mainstream, I think, of the three, because he had, like, mainstream actors in that one. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But, yes. But you know he, uh, I think how he said it because there's a like a one hour interview on the on the um, I don't know if it's on your DVD set, but it's definitely on the uh, uh, Criterion, the Grindhouse Blu-ray. Um, he talks about how he did a uh, Last Cannibal World, and then you know I think he after that he did uh, I think Concord, right? If I'm not mistaken, I can't. I, I don't think have his so, thing yeah. in front of me, but he might have done Concord right after that. And then after Concord, like think he gets approached by somebody. I think I forgot what country it was from. It might have been Italy. It might have been some other country like that. I wanted to give him like, uh, I think they said he eight million lire or something. So it must have been from from Italy because that's lire was the Italian currency. So, yeah. you know, somebody approached him and said, you know, we want you to do in the cannibal movie. And he was like, well, I'm not sure because I'm, you know, I'm kind of wanted to do like something like just regular fare right now. Like he did Concord. Like he was trying to kind of stay that course but after they gave him money and they said we want another cannibal film we said okay fine we'll do another cannibal film and he's wacky because he flips off flops on a lot of stuff like we mentioned before he flip flops about the animal killings he flip flops here about like the inspiration for like the the movie 
Like, he, he, he has two different stories. Like, the first story he usually tells is that, like, when he was a kid, um, he was growing up during the, uh, the years of lead in Italy, and, um, well, actually not growing up, like, he was, like, his, his kid, like, I'm talking about his son, his son was witnessing everything on the news during the years of lead, which is, like, this big, like, political, uh, era of terrorism in Italy with, between left and right-wing factions, and he would see a lot of the stuff happening, uh, from the Red Brigade, and, you know, he would question, like, the authenticity of the reports, like, the, the footage, he, you would think that was doctored, and he would say, well, you know, what if we kind of took that concept and put it in this movie, where, like, you know, these, uh, these American quote-unquote journalists would, like, film, like, the tribes, and because they're not getting the juicy story that they go out to seek, they start, like, doctoring footage and start, like, faking events, you know, and kind right. of incorporate that. So that's how, I guess, the basic premise of the story came about, according to him. And then there's another interview where he says, oh, I just wanted to make a cannibal movie. Like, he doesn't really go into detail. Like, I just said, well, they told me to make a cannibal movie, and I made one. You know, so it's like he's 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 a very wacky uh, wacky guy. I don't know if it's just like if he just like misremembers stuff randomly or if he's just being intentional about misleading everybody. But I don't know. Maybe he's just being a carny. Well, I think a lot of it too, and and you know, I, I've listened to a lot of these guys like Dario Argento and and this guy and some of the other guys that I'm gonna talk to uh, in a bit about in a minute. I think that, I think a lot of it is that there's a language barrier. I think. I've heard them try to tell their stories in English, and they have a hard time speaking the language, and they get they kind of get confused. So, so they use a lot of the terminology they use to express what they're trying to say is not something that's exactly translated in English. So, a lot of their stories kind of sound wacky, and and it's funny because. Well, as kind of like, you know, big shot Americans, we listen to them try to talk and try to talk in English. And there's almost this sense of comedy, right? Like we're looking at them and they're struggling and we shouldn't really be like, it's almost like their credibility suffers a little bit when they try to talk in English. You know, all these, all these, uh, and not just the Italians, a lot of other international filmmakers as well. And, and it's almost that it's almost like we stop taking them seriously when they can't speak the language properly. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of these stories that they're trying to tell, um, it's very hard for them to convey it in, in English. So a lot of them, they, they, sometimes, like I've gone to conventions and I'll hear like like this Italian directors try to talk and they get frustrated and it kind of takes the steam out of the room, you know? And so I think that's why you, you hear like different stories and different like uh, DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever, because it's not so much that they're changing the story, is that they, they just, they don't know how to express it. So it kind of changes throughout different medias, you know? Now, if you're telling me that you've heard this, the, you know, if he's talking in his own language and the story, Story's changing. That's a different thing, you know, because yeah. that's more of a, you know, that, that, now that's a carny. But uh, so so the so let me talk. I mean, uh, Adolfo, you got anything to say? You've been awfully quiet. Before I give a little bit of the uh, the 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 range of the years of the of the cannibal genre. Uh, I'm not really no. I don't have much to say because I'm not really super. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not super um, educated on on the Italian cannibal movies. I'm more. I'm more into the. Uh, I've seen more of the uh, the Giallo uh, movies that were more yes. like serial killer bloodbath movies, like uh, Deep Red and Suspiria and uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Like those are the movies that I more know. So uh, I'm not super into the. Um, uh, I just never got into the the cannibal movie. So you're just you know go ahead. I'm not. I'm not well, well, uh, well, I'm glad you really shouldn't because you're not missing much. I mean, there really isn't much to say now. <laughs> The thing about the cannibal genre is that when we're talking about exploitation films, um, uh, there's 
hundreds of genres. You're talking about we have like Nazi exploitation, we have nun exploitation, we have cannibal exploitation, we have uh, uh, the the beach movies. You know, we have the biker movies. Black exploitation, you know, exploitation, exploitation. We got exploitation, uh, and they all have their own charm. Believe me, I love the whole thing. I mean, I, I'm a huge historian when it comes to all these films. Um, and actually, it's funny because I'm going to sidetrack here a little bit. So one of the reasons why 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 distribution companies like 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 Criterion and like and like uh, like we're talking about Blue Underground that, that William Lustig opened Shout up, Shout Factory, Shout Factory. The reason why they're so huge amongst collectors like myself is because they're they're going out there and they're going over to the vaults of like Warner Brothers and Paramount and Universal because a lot of these films kind of end up in in a, in a spider infested area with the canister just. They're abandoned for years in one of their towers, and a lot, and a lot of these companies, like the ones we just mentioned, they go up to these these, these uh, companies and they're like, "Why don't you license us the, these titles? Because you're not going to do anything with them. They're going to be here forever, and they're just going to they're just going to be forgotten." And then a lot of these companies, you know, some some play ball more than others. Like I know Warner Brothers is very very protective of their library; like they don't let anything go. But then you have other more liberal ones like Universal, you know. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll license you this title. And so we're starting to see a lot of these films get cleaned up, uh, you know, reprocess. They add a lot of supplemental material to it, commentary, you know, deleted scenes. And they're put out there for the collector, you know. And that's a great thing because now uh, people like myself, and I'm sure like you two, we have like these awesome clean prints of these films that we grew up watching that look like shit or that we had yes. never seen. Because they weren't available, you know, and and people bitch about the price. Now here's the deal about the price. Yes, I do agree that a lot of it, like they are now. Now I would say within the last couple of months, because now now um, uh, uh, Lionsgate they have their own line. Because what happened is that Shout Factory started like this big thing. Like Criterion has always been there, but they're more for like artsy films. Shout Factory was more for genre films, and and then. It got over, right? So now you had other films mm -hmm. like Arrow and like uh, what was the Kino, uh, bro. Vestron Video, Vestron Video started to come out where there's like they 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 release like Chopping Mall and mm. uh, and Blood Diner and Parents, a Randy Quaid early film from the 80s that was wacky, and they're charging forty dollars for these things, you know, and it's yeah. now it's to the point where the bubble's gonna burst. Like you can't, I'm not gonna pay forty dollars for a Blu-ray. I don't care what it is. Like legit, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, so you know, I, I'm within the range of like twenty to twenty-five, and that's if I really like a title. But the thing is, we've got to understand what the, what these companies go through to license these titles. You know, they're, they're, it's not even their property. They're licensing from some of the bigger studios, and then they gotta they gotta invest in cleaning it up. You know, reproducing. There's a lot that goes into it, so that's how they gotta make their money back. On top of that. They're promoting to a very niche audience, which is the hardcore of the hardcores. So, so their their profit margin is very small to begin with. So, what the positive of that is that if you're a collector and you buy one of these, because the supply and demand, the way it's shaped, your your your, your Blu-ray is never going to go down in value. It's like collecting vinyl. You're always you're always your 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 Blu-ray of these companies is always going to be worth something just because of the, uh, of the fact that there's so little of them made and and who they're who they're uh, promoted to, right? So so um so it's always a good thing if you want to buy some and you know it's, it's not a you you, you could spend your twenty five dollars and you're if you want to resell it you're always gonna pretty much gonna get your money back, um, but but uh so that that that's one thing I wanted to say about that now as far as the the cannibal genre so what what happens is that back in the day um 
we talked about VHS earlier. Well, there was also these little grindhouse theaters that were specifically made for that. Again, we're talking about supply and demand. And what was going on was that we didn't have uh, the Internet. We didn't have PlayStation 3, 4, 5, whatever we're at now, Xbox. We didn't have all these digital platforms where we could just sit on our ass and, and watch TV. We didn't have that. So what, what, what people used to do, folks, as hard as this is to believe, is we used to leave our Go house. And, you know? <laughs> And so a lot of uh, we had there was second run theaters. Their entire business depended on the the influx of all these kind of like B movies. That's where the B came from because they would play in a lot of. It was kind of like the second run uh, theaters, right? Mm -hmm. So with it, all these theaters and a lot of them talking about mom and pop with the video stores. A lot of them we had mom and pop uh, theaters, you know. Um, and the beautiful thing about these theaters, this is another thing I grew up, and maybe we'll get a Adolfo's view on this because I know he went to some of them. So in the in the in the 40s and the 50s, when the studios were allowed to own their own theaters, they used to build these big fucking movie palaces because they had the money to do it. They didn't give a fuck. Yeah. And, and so when 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 the court mandate came that they couldn't own theaters anymore, they sold them to like mom and pops, you know, or like people that had the money to buy them. So I grew up here in Los, An Los Angeles going to like these movie palaces, bro, where it was like one screen and you would walk in there and there was like chandeliers and fucking yeah. balconies and like 2000 seaters. And you would just watch like, you know, they would have the, 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 the triple features, you know, you watch three movies in one day. Uh, so, so that was another thing that was awesome, bro, because the, the multiplexes kind of, kind of killed that whole vibe. Um, so a lot of these grindhouse movie theaters, they would only play a movie for one week, then they would ship it out to the next theater, and, and they would get the new print. Now, here's another thing, folks. Back in the day, they didn't have digital chips that you just you just click on or a digital file, and the projector would play the movie. They actually had to make prints. <laughs> yeah. when, I was, when I was going to film school, the last price I heard, this is like, like 2003, 2004, was that it used to be somewhere around two thousand dollars for a print of, of of your finished film. So you're looking at if a movie had fifteen twenty prints, I mean multiply that by by two three Gs, and that's why it was very expensive to to distribute. So what the the distribution format was different. You know you would have a little movie like 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 Cannibal Holocaust. They would play it on a on a grindhouse theater, which would cost you like two bucks to get into, and if the movie was successful. The theater owner would keep it longer. If the movie wouldn't play good, they would ship it out to the next theater and they would get a, ne a new print of another movie. So it was kind of like playing hot potato with all these films yeah. at, circulating at one time. And of course, the legendary place for these grindhouse theaters was 42nd Street in Manhattan oh. because 42nd Street had a whole, they had, what, like 20, 25 theaters, a whole line of them just back and forth. And, and, and as a kid, you could go there and you could spend the entire day just going from theater to theater to theater and watching all these fucking B-movie pictures, you know? So, yeah. And the reason that, why... That, not to cut you off, Draven, I'm sorry. Um, I, we mentioned earlier about the whole, like, the VHS thing. Like, this is the uh, one other thing that I actually do envy you guys. That so I, you, I got to, you got to do these I, grindhouse theaters. Like, I, this is something I, I wish I could have I been able to do. And I know, and then that's why I'm so thankful for places like Alamo Drafthouse because they kind of, like, kind of keep what that vibe and they show all these B-movies there as well that you can kind of like you know go not the same out. because the same thing though it's and the also same thing, but like you know it's, it's the closest thing we're going to get to that now actually 
I would dare say, and I don't want to speak for Adolfo, but, you know, we're in the same position you were with VHS. Actually, we caught the tail end of the whole Grindhouse scene because VHS killed the Grindhouse. That, that's what fucked up the Grindhouse theaters was yeah. VHS. So we actually kind of caught the tail end. Well, I did anyway. I'm, I'm just speaking for Adolfo because we're from the same generation. And I caught the tail end of it. Uh, so I didn't really get to enjoy it as much. But I remember as a little kid um, just going to these individual theaters and you know you're, you're you're walking and your and your feet are sticking to the floor from that soda that hadn't been mopped yeah. and, and you know the uh, homeless people would pay their two bucks and they had a place to crash for a couple hours in one of the seats you know it was kind of like the wild wild west back in the day um <clears throat> so so yeah so that that's pretty much so what what happens is that these kind of films were promoted towards uh, let's just say they were promoted to people lower social economic class, you know, because all the rich people went to see the the, the big studio productions, whereas all the the, the poor people um, went to see these kind of films, you know, because they were cheap and they were fast, you know. So the Americans distributors they needed an influx of product. It was it was like you know supply and demand was high. So every time there was a a, a popular film. It would create all these clones of that film. So, in 1972, uh, a, a filmmaker, an Italian filmmaker, known, known as Umberto Lenzi, which is which oh, is boy. okay. So you got so you got the quote-unquote holy trilogy of cannibalistic genre. You got Umberto Lenzi, Joe D'Amato, and 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 Ruggiero Di Otaro. Those are the three guys that kind of uh, you know they they kind of dominated the cannibal genre. So, so in 1972, Umberto Lenzi made a movie called Man from the Deep River, which was it was about a white man going into the the land of the savages, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? And that was the first time where you saw kind of like a, a, a Umberto Lenzi showing the 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 people what it's like to have a white city slicker going into this land of of wild beast. You know. Um, and then, and then that was a big success. It was a big success overseas, meaning here. Um, but there was kind of a there was kind of a little bit of a um, of a drought. And then, and then it wasn't until 1980. Now, 1980, we got about six or seven of these suckers, hmm. and we got all and we got all the classics. We got Cannibal Holocaust. We got Eaten Alive, but again directed by Umberto Lenzi. We got a, a great movie that I that, that I like called Doctor Butcher M.D., which is Zombie Holocaust, which is a film that try to kind of mix the genres. It's a zombie cannibal film, which is wacky to see when you yeah. if you ever watch. Um, and so and so at that time, uh, so so now you're over flooding the market because it works so well. But I think 1980 was bad because it also showed that people. We're, we're getting tired of it. Like, like, like the actual, the actual uh, genre of cannibal movies didn't really last that long. It was about seven, eight years, and then people got fed up with it and they moved on. So, um, you know, then you have other classics like Cannibal Ferox, which is which is the second film that I saw, and which was one of the one of the uh, the films that I used to look for when I was also a teenager. Uh, that one's a little more, uh, it's a little more brutal than Cannibal Holocaust, and and it has the famous last scene when the when the cannibals kill the white guy and they 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 chop the top of his head and they eat his brain. And yeah, it's, it's it's quite the feature. So so um, so we as as nostalgic creatures that we are, we like to romanticize the cannibal 
genre, but it really it really wasn't that long. Maybe I mean its prime was really just a couple years, to be honest with you. Maybe eighty to eighty two, uh, but they stretched it out to run eighty five. So so actually, uh, I think Cut and Run, uh, Deodato's last film in nineteen eighty five, that 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 was probably the last one that people really really know about. You know, so yeah, so so it, it's kind of it kind of came and went, kind of like Goldberg's career. You know, it just came and went. <laughs> nice, <laughs> but uh, before I throw it to Adolfo. Um... I mentioned on the show uh, like many times, especially I think the first time I mentioned it was when we did Taxi Driver with Headcase on here. And I said, you know, if I could go back to any time, it would be like late 70s, early 80s New York. That's when they had like the CD Times Square with the Grindhouse Theaters. You know, it's just and, and then when you see that in Taxi Driver, just like that whole aura of New York, I just kind of want to experience that just for one day, you know, because it kind of it feels like it feels real as opposed to like the Times Square now where it's all like clean and gentrified and all it, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel real you know whereas the, the new york of taxi driver of mean streets of all those movies it, it feels like shaft shaft exactly it, feel, it feels real you know and then you know i that's that's just something I've, I've always like romanticized in a way if you know like it wasn't i'm sure it wasn't like that for the people living in that era but um you know it's just something that you look back on you're like hmm that it'd be kind of cool to like just to go to a grindhouse theater in times square in 1978 or something you know but uh, adolfo do you have any memories of this yeah so uh so my my experience was just a little bit different so i didn't have we didn't have because i grew up in like small 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 town pennsylvania so we didn't have grindhouse theaters but what we did have we had second run theaters that did play b movies right so they would play like the, the like uh, a new release that was like you know two months old or something like that but they would also play like little smaller movies uh like b movies as well pretty much like the the entire canon library uh w- yes. would be played in that theater you know like the chuck yeah. norris movies and like american ninja and, and movies right. like that the, those would be the movies that would be playing there um and then like uh the, the other place that you could see like b movies uh was the drive-in the drive-in was of like you, know, you know you'd always have like the major a a picture release and then the second feature would be like this like cheesy like you know genre film from the 80s like I I have a very vivid memory of uh, watching uh, Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins at a drive-in. You guys know what that movie is? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've never <laughs> seen it, but I know what you're talking about. It's like I mean, it, 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 I, I don't. I have no, probably not seen it since the '80s, so it's, I don't know how good it holds up. But I remember loving that movie as a kid. So like, I, I didn't get the Grindhouse per se, where we got like the exploitation movies, but we did. I had some, we had second-run theaters that that ran B movies and. Uh, the drive-in ran B movies, so uh, I, I, that's another thing I, I do miss is like being able to go to a being able to go to a theater and watch something like that, you know. But now B movies they they get straight to VOD, you know. They don't go yeah. to theaters anymore. Yeah. Well, I still watch them, but yeah, you guys you guys are more limited on time than I am. But um, so so if somebody's at, I'm sure one of the questions because I just had this question myself. Somebody's asking, well, a theater's a theater. Why 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 wouldn't like. Uh, you know the Metroplex downtown play. Um, uh, what, what's like ET with Cannibal Holocaust? It it comes down to okay. So they, the thing is that they needed product. That that's the bottom line. It wasn't so much that they could do that. And I'm sure you you know there, there, there's there's uh, old flyers of wacky double features like that, like ET and then Cannibal Holocaust. Like there, that did happen. Uh, but the thing is that 
There was, it happened in Japan, right? They were that came. No, out no, it happened. Here. It happened here. No, that, that, that's just like an extreme example. I'm sure. Okay. I'm talking about like like a big studio film with like a like a crazy ass wacky genre film, like kind of like like they would pair them up, especially when 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 the A title, like the studio movie, would kind of start working its way down to the smaller theaters. Then you start seeing those wacky pairings. But what I'm saying more is that there was the, there was enough demand. For these smaller chains to open up, and there wasn't enough movies to 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 like supply the demand. So that's why you had all these films imported from Italy and and from Spain, and you know all these films kind of came because because the the American cinema theater owners they needed those films to keep their business running. And a lot of these theaters too, they would they would run some of them damn near 24 hours a day too. That was another thing. It's like you go to a movie like at three in the morning, uh, just because again. Our entertaining options were, were were more limited back in the day, and you could sit there and just kick back and watch a movie at three in the morning. Who who would be watching a movie with you? Well, that's probably another movie unto itself. Yeah, but uh, yeah, those nice. that, uh, that's something that you would experience. So um, yeah, so that's pretty much it, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, again, like it's just you know just different times, man, and uh, it's just it's something that. I just whether it's the VHS thing or going be able to go to a grindhouse, it's just it's something I wish I I, I could have experienced, you know. Um, that's yeah, why yeah. I that's why I mark out when I hear like the grindhouse, like duh, 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 duh. when I hear that in front of a movie, I like start marking out because it's like it's just it just brings a nostalgia. Even though I never lived through that era, like it just it, it brings out the nostalgic the nostalgic freaking me. You know? And again, and again, one of the things that has always bothered me ever since I was going to film school and all that, even now, like a lot of the, the you know, when you when you get educated in cinema, you kind of become a snob, right? And and, and you kind of start looking down on these films just because, yeah, you start learning more of more of the of the quote unquote, you know, uh, 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 what was the word I'm looking for? Like, like like the nicest kind of cinema, you know, like the like the Hollywood way of making films. But the thing that people Prestige. don't realize. Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. But the thing that people don't realize is that if you do the research, every single filmmaker that has inspired us, they all started making a genre movie. I would say about, you know, like 99% of the filmmakers, uh, you know, unless you're like a trust fund baby and you fucking like the guy that directed Whiplash or whatever. I know he comes from money and he's had, he had opportunities or whatever, but... But and that doesn't mean he's not talented. It just means, you know, he 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 was born on third base rather than trying to hit a home run, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, so uh, but mostly most mo most of the of the young filmmakers that go on to become legends, they all start making a little movie. They all start making a little genre movie because genre movies are kind of cheap to make again, because all you need is to you know dazzle people with visually with either gore or or, or tits. Or whatever, you know. So, so yeah. So, so the, the genre films are very important for anybody trying to get into cinema because they're the inspiration to anybody that you look up to. I mean, not just. I mean, to that point, look how many, look how many of like the 1970s like uh, new Hollywood directors started under Roger Corman. You know, like Coppola and Scorsese and yeah. uh, James Cameron and Ron Howard and. Uh, I'm missing someone else. Oh, Bogdanovich, Peter Bogdanovich. They all started like making like these cheesy movies for Roger Corman. So like, and then they became like huge mega Hollywood directors. 
Right, right. And, and look, okay, this, this is Jaws. For all intents and purposes, Jaws is a, is a, is, that's an exploitation film. Yep. And it was marketed as, as like the big first Hollywood blockbuster, but it's an exploitation film. Star Wars is an exploitation film. You see what I'm saying? So, so, so the evolution of film does have its roots in these fucking grindy movies that nobody cares about, that everybody laughs at, like Cannibal Holocaust, you know? Tarantino got inspired by Cannibal Holocaust, you know? So, so it's like though these are the kind of films that that if if you're studying filmmaking you should watch. Even though I will admit that some of them are a drag, but a lot of the fundamentals are there, especially because a lot of the American films ain't gonna give you these tools. You know, they're not gonna show you these kind of ways to tell a story. You know, so um, especially with the Italians, since we're talking about them, it's like the Italians have always been into realism. You know, they've always used real locations. They've always, I mean, unfortunately in this film, they kill animals, legit. I'm not suggesting anybody do that because there's no justification to do that at all. But, you know, it's it's like, so, so watch those and learn and then put all the pieces of the puzzle together and make your own movie. Like the Americans did in the early 1900s or whatever. <laughs> right, exactly. But, uh, I guess, uh, I mean, do you have anything else to add about that, Adolfo? No, not really. I think I think we got covered. Yeah. Like, 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 listen, listen, I'll say this, all right? Citizen Kane, every single shot of that movie, you could find it in any international movie that came before it. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> That's all we're going to say about that. Yes. Wow. All right. But, uh, I mean, now I guess we kind but, of... But, 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 that, but that makes me respect Orson Welles even more because he's a student of the game. You know, he did his research. He understood that there was other ways to tell us a, a movie. And he totally changed the, 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 the industry forever because what he created, everybody else copied since then. So there is all that. So that's good for him. Yes. Yeah, so that he copied from others and then they copied from him. And it's like it's like a circle. Well, he well well he kind of introduced the formula, I think, of how you tell a story the American way. Right. Because before him, I mean, I'm sure there was movies, but before Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, there was a whole another way to tell an American story. And then once he came with that film, it introduced all the tropes, you know, the certain visual angles, all, a lot of the stuff that that was told in Citizen Kane was there for the first time to American audiences. And so they were like, what the fuck? They were all just tripping out. 25, this guy's 25 years old, you know? Yeah. And so anyways, but but a lot of that you could find. Uh, pieces of everything he did, you could find in little films here and there from from, from uh, international territories. I, I mean, I mean, not just that, but I mean, look at, look at a movie like Metropolis, which like every single science fiction movie ever has, has borrowed from Metropolis. Yes, exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, every single one. And I mean, that was 1927, I think, a German movie and like German. I mean, we're getting away off track here, but like German expressionist movies and, and movies like Metropolis, like every uh, like every science fiction movie ever made since then has like borrowed from Metropolis in some way. Well, I think I think the I think the bigger picture that we're trying to cover here, which I think is a good topic that relates to this film, is that you know the foreign territories are not scared to push the envelope, and right. that's why uh, when you go to film school, you are gonna hear German expressionism and and you know Italian realism and the French New Wave. Mm -hmm. They they all kind of deserve their own moniker because they created something new. Uh, you know what 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 has the Americans created? You know what like the like the uh, what do you call it those those uh, you know the 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 19, from the 1950s the fucking um god damn it 
the musicals. That's what yeah. they got under their belt, you know. Okay, big deal. I'm not really a fan of the musicals, so I don't care. Um, I except, for La also, La Land, except for La La Land, I, I which is not really a musical. I think I think you're 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 shortchanging Hollywood a little bit there because I think they they're also responsible for the western, uh, which I mean it inspired a lot of other people like inspired, that's right I, I give you credit for the western yes the western which inspired you know people like Sergio Leone to make his own westerns which probably outshine the American westerns anyway um, and then I think film noir is also more of a, 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 a American invention that the that really influenced like the French New Wave in the in the sixties yeah yeah you're right. I just, I just, I'm very, you know, I, I've been against Hollywood for a long time. I just don't like their distribution and the way they make movies. But, but then again, I go support them every year. I drop hundreds of dollars on them, so it's, it is what it is. Yeah, you, uh, you mentioned the, uh, the, the realism. Uh, Delgado in the interview that I watched, he was super, super heavy about how why he supports realism. He said, you know, I, I can't imagine like, you know, these people, these, my colleagues that come after me. You know the way they do things is you know he, he can't understand it like he says like like you know my colleagues will go to the jungle and they'll build you know little huts and they'll build these little villages i go into the real villages and i film the real natives you know it's just like it, yeah you know it's just it's just an interesting way to 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 film it's an interesting way to kind of look at things like everything has to be like super realistic and i, and I kind of agree with that to an extent but there are times where you, that's not possible but I uh, I can definitely understand like his uh, his style and why he why he, he feels he has to do it that way, uh, which is interesting. But I mean we've kind of well, uh, go ahead. No, I, I was gonna say I mean listen when I, whenever I watch a movie I always try you know you know I, I'm sure you guys have worked even you guys I consider artists because you guys have delved into the film business or whatever. Like when when you have an artistic mind. You could become quite the pain in the ass. You know what I'm saying? I've worked with a lot of people like that. They have these weird fucking fixations when they're working on their art. And so when this guy, when, when Diodato's talking about how everything has to be real and this or that, I try to kind of understand where he's coming from, you know, because he has a vision and he's going to stick to it. It's like the whole thing with the animals. Like he, like you said, he kind of, you know, switches back and forth. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. To me, he, he had to do it. He just had to do it because there's absolutely no justification for these animals to get killed. And it bothered me and it sucked. And I just, I'm not going to watch this film probably ever again, unless I do another podcast covering it, which I don't think I am. So, and, but the thing is, the thing is, the thing is one thing we can deny is that for better or worse, those killings add to the entire, like the, 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 the entire atmosphere of the film, you know, they leave you with an impression. And, and by that, they kind of, uh, they, they, they kind of, uh, you know, you kind of leave the film thinking it's more real than it really is. So if that was his intent, you know, he's an asshole for doing it, but he did what he had to do, you know, and that that's that's just it. Well, well I'll tell you what he said. First, he, he brought up the animals the first time because I think in uh, Last Cannibal World there was also real animal killings in that as well. And he said yeah. that the reason that they, he said they – like it was not my idea. Like they made me do it. And he said the producer of that film said that in order to sell it to the Asian market, they had to put real animal killings because apparently they get off on that or something. That's part of their culture. <laughs> so they had to put that in in order to sell it to the Asian market. Now, he didn't film any of that. But what happened was like after he finished filming that, that movie, the producer filmed the animal scene and kind of cut it in to the, to the finished product. So that's how that got in there. But he said it completely was not his idea. As far as this movie goes – he said that um, 
he said that when they approached them, kind of with the same logic that, oh, we need to be able to sell this to different territories that, like, that they, that quote-unquote need this in their movie in order for us to be able to sell it. So he remembered what happened with the last movie, and he said, well, if we're going to do this, let's do it to, for animals that, like, what what do the natives eat? And if they're if it's something that they eat, well, then we'll film them killing it or whatnot. And then that was the logic behind that. So that was the, that was the story that he stuck to in that interview, that if it was as long as it was something that the natives ate, then he'd be willing to film it. But like anything else, like he felt uncomfortable based on what happened the last time. But that was the story then. Then you know, like you said, Draven, he'll go on and say, "Oh, you know, I don't mind the killings." Then he'll go. Well, in the again commentary, in the commentary track, he says that this this, this is kind of a alpha in a lot of ways, bro. He says that, and he's he pretty much says that he's old school, right? And in his yes. time. It, it wasn't it wasn't anything out of the ordinary to just kill animals and, and eat them or like just kill them for sport. That's pretty much what he says on the commentary track. No, and, and you know what he said? So I don't know if you caught this. He said that uh, you know, why do why why is it okay for the for for them to kill a horse and a cow on screen, but when I do the turtle, like all of a sudden, like people want to want to riot. And then Kermit was like, well, that's a false equivalency. Like it depends on how you're killing. The cow. Yeah, the yeah, 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 because Kermit was like, is the the malice comes from the intent. The malice comes from 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 the fact that he just does it just because he needs a shot. Like he 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 takes the life away because he needs a particular shot. That's kind of fucked up. And and so it got kind of uncomfortable because him and, and Robert Kerman, there was kind of tension there for a while, yeah. dude, as they're watching this film together doing this commentary. And uh and then I think I think Leonardo changes the subject. He's like, look, look, we I I recorded these hot. Let's talk about these hot. <laughs> remember, remember that scene? Yeah. I, I, let's talk about this hut now. I recorded this hut. I built it from scratch. And you're like, okay, well, they got look at the spider. Before the spider was put on, on, on Francesca, it was Venomite. <laughs> yeah, he totally no, just got a pivoted, bro. Bro, bro and then I, like, I like when he starts getting sarcastic later on when, when they're gonna, when the pregnant lady's hanging and the baby's gonna be born, it's like, real pregnant baby, not real baby, okay? <laughs> not real baby. Not real baby, that's yes, right. <laughs> so, so it's like, he, he got, this motherfucker got defensive towards the end, you know? But fuck it, it made for a good listen. And it's fun. And then I don't know if you have the, the Kermit interview, like just the solo interview from like I think it was, I think they filmed it in like 2000. Like so it's an old interview. But like he just didn't give a fuck, bro. He just went on and said, "Oh, I don't know why people like this movie. I don't know why they like this fucking movie." You know, it's like, <laughs> he's just, he, and he's like, you know, um, I, I like I hope you put this in. Like you know, when I took this movie, there was like an upward trajectory to my career, and afterwards, like it could just kind of stop. It just stopped. You know, so he's blaming Cannibal Holocaust for his, the failure that was the rest of his career, bro. He, pre- he wasn't he pretty shy much, about saying it. He pretty much did the what Jared Leto did with fucking Suicide Squad after it came out, bro. He, <laughs> he, he buried the he shit buried out of it. He buried the shit like. out of it, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for part one of our look back at Cannibal Holocaust. And with that, we will wrap up Forbes Respective episode 92. Any questions, comments, feedback, just send an email to fpmpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on the Forbes Respective social media empire. You can give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash fpmoviepodcast. Follow us on Twitter at fpmoviepodcast. And you can follow us on Instagram at fpmpodcast. Uh, next week, we'll conclude our look back at Cannibal Holocaust with part two of uh, Engulfed.
by the Green Inferno. And the week after, we will be bringing you back to some current releases such as Beauty and the Beast, the Belko Experiment, Power Rangers, and most likely Ghost in the Shell. Um, we might, may or may not be able to get to that one before we record that show, but definitely Beauty and the Beast, definitely Power Rangers, and definitely uh, Belko Experiment. We will also finally get into our spoiler review of Get Out. That'll be for episode 94. But next episode, episode 93, we'll conclude our retrospective on Cannibal Holocaust. On behalf of Adolfo and Driven on SportsCraft 515, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, we are out of here. Take it easy, everybody. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.